Welcome to another Geeking on Sportscast. As always, my name is Kieran and joined again today by my good friend, Alex. Thank you for being here. Ayo. And it has officially come to Rome. It is not coming home. I do apologize for that. He is a English fan. So it, it is a little, I mean, you, you can explain it for yourself. It's probably not the greatest of feelings for you, but it, it's probably nice to be in the finals or it was yeah. nice to be in the finals for what, first yeah. time in about 50 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're an England fan, it's just horrible the way it ended. But at the same time, you have to take a lot of hope out of it. The team's pretty young. Um, just look at the guys who took their penalties and missed them. But at the same time, they're all under 25, right? So, um, I mean, I think with the Qatar World Cup, it's going to be a bit – it's just going to be a weird World Cup because it's in – it's in December. It's in midway through the European seasons or really almost all the seasons. Um, so I think that World Cup is going to be a bit different. But at the same time, they should have the talent to be one of the favorites, um, maybe not the favorite, but definitely a contender. So I, I think compared to where um, England, uh, the national team was about 10 years ago it's it's leaps and bounds um, a better team and an exciting team and a young team and so even though they easily could have won this final and, and won the euros there's a lot to take out of it so you can't be too too upset i don't know if you can say easily i think italy put up a really strong game and i no, but it, it went to penalties like it could have yeah, gone yeah. The way they, I, they had the chance to win it. i'm not saying england deserved to win the game on a totality i thought Italy was a the better team on the day, but if it goes to penalty, it's a it's a it's yeah, a, it's a it's a fifty fifty. Yeah, so yeah. they could have won, and 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 like for example, Italy probably shouldn't have won their semifinals um, against Spain. They were outplayed, but it went to penalties, and they won, and then they were the better team in the final. So it, it's yeah. I think it kind of evens out. So I think it was interesting because I remember hearing the commentators saying that no team has won i don't know if it was back-to-back penalties in a row or if it was two penalties in the same um tournament i think it's never won two in the same tournament yeah so that that's pretty crazy that italy managed to to get that done um and as as fans know and as as people listening to the pod will probably know uh game was italy uh, England 1-1, then going through the pens, it was 3-2 on penalties for Italy. So definitely a crazy experience. Um, i just like to say, Jordan Pickford absolutely outplayed Jorginho. And then the only way that you counter Jorginho's tactic is just to wait until he hits the ball and not react first. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're basically describing how he slows down right before he kicks the penalty and will either make you jump the wrong way, um, like offside or not offside, but off your line before he hits it. Or the, the second you're moving to one side, side, you're leaning towards one side, he's going to hit the other. Exactly. And and he got it right and got a bit lucky too. It hit the post, but still a great save. Um, yeah. 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 And then Sokka just, um, I, again, we can go over it a little bit later, but um, you feel for the kid. He's 19 played a great tournament and it wasn't a great penalty, but it was still a good save. So it wasn't like he, he still got on target. Right. So it's, uh, uh, yeah. So, and uh, Donnarumma won player of the tournament. So it's, it's kind of, that says a bit of something yeah. about the, the penalties. All right. You wanted to talk about how Southgate 
played. Um, I think it was a little odd that he reverted to a back three for the finals as he, he had only done so against Germany in another back three formation. It seemed he would only do that if another team played a back three and Italy did not play back three, they played back four. So what do you make of that? I, I don't necessarily think it was a mistake. I think they utilized the left and right wing back really well. I mean, that's essentially how you scored the first goal in the second minute of the game. Um, and I think for most of the game, it really worked to your advantage. But what what are your thoughts on it? I mean, there's a couple things. I think re- regarding just the back five in this case, I'm not necessarily against the back five, but I, I just think they were a bit too defensive. I think if you have a back five, you don't need the you don't need both Phillips and Rice as basically two CDMs. Um, especially against Italy, just because I think you need a little bit more of the ball. And that's what you saw in the game was that, sure, England scored the first goal. And, and truthfully, I think that might have been a bad thing. And I mean, obviously, they win 1-0, no one's complaining. But they kind of sat on the game the rest of it until Italy scored and really threw extra time until probably the second half of extra time. They didn't really get their foot in the game and have any real chances and time on the ball. And I think that's just because they were playing with not a lot of creative kind of guys in the midfield that could hold the ball. And then you're playing with two extra wingbacks, which are great. Shaw was amazing. I thought Trippier and played well, but um, they're not going to keep the ball for you. Right. And that's what they were doing at, you know, basically from the 30th minute mark to the end of the regulation, we're just kind of kicking and running and, and not really getting a sustained kind of have the ball, move it through the midfield and up to Rashford and, or I mean, not to Rashford, to Sterling and Kane. And, and I think that really over time, you could tell the England was just getting tired and wasn't really doing much with the ball. And then Italy scored and Italy had the momentum. So I, I just think, honestly, I'm not necessarily against the back five. I just think if you're going to do that, you have to have, another player in the midfield i'd say probably a henderson although he he came in later and wasn't great well he got he got subbed off yeah i think that was more for the for the penalties penalties yeah get rashford on yeah but at the same time i just think you you have to have a henderson and looking forward a little bit to to the world cup i think that's where a guy like bellingham is going to be really important because he can still be good defensively but is such a good on the ball and he's only what 17 18 so by 2022 he'll be a bit older he plays for Borussia Dortmund um he should still get pretty uh regular minutes for them so that's probably I'm not saying he should have played Bellingham but I think that's the kind of guy they're they're missing is like even a Verratti or Jorginho just like a guy that can you know hold the ball and really dictate the midfield and and I, I love Rice and Phillips, but those aren't really the players, especially Rice, who play basically plays as a center back. Is he not? I mean, from from when I watch him play at West Ham, he does have that capability. Do you think it's it's just the system then that Southgate was playing? Yeah, I I just find it that they're basically playing two holding midfielders. That's kind of what they're doing. And and if you watch and in the game, Rice was getting really really deep. He wasn't going forward at mm-hmm. all, right? And I think some of that is definitely Italy controlling the ball and with Ferrati and, and Jorginho. But at the same time, this whole tournament, Phillips and Rice have played much deeper. And that's partially why they were having trouble scoring in the first couple games of the tournament, just because they weren't getting the ball out to Kane and to Sterling and to 
mount as easily because they were playing so back right Mm. and i think obviously they made the finals it wasn't like southgate you know bottled everything they did have a bit of an easy draw but at the same time i think what (laughs) they did they 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 definitely did if you look at italy they played way better teams yeah um then i would also say the the home advantage for what was it six out of seven games that played a factor as well i I would say did but if if i don't think home field does as much as it used to um uh, look at if you look at 60,000 english fans in wembley no, i think that goes a long way i don't think so it will for example the biggest thing i mean people can disagree with it and this is going on a bit tangent but i'll, I'll just make my point quickly is that look at the away goal rules right people don't want to use that because it doesn't seem to be the best indicator of how teams can score on the road as easily as home. I'm sure if you look at the analytics, there's an advantage, but I don't know if it's that big. Now, is it an advantage? Sure. But if you're going to say England made the final because of home, I'd say it's mostly because of their draw. The one game they really played decently well was against Germany and still got lucky, right? So um, I think the fans helped, but I wouldn't say that's the reason why they made it to the final end work. No, no, no. It, it's definitely, it helped them. It's not, it, it's not the reason. It's not the cause. Yeah. I, I think it's, 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 it's helpful, but yeah, I, I still think if you played it in neutral grounds, they probably have a similar result, honestly, other than maybe if it's in Germany, they do better, but Germany didn't play very well in Germany. Um, in no, no, the- Germany did not have a good, I mean, we don't need to get into Germany. Oh, the point, point is, yeah. they had one tactic. If you understood the tactic, you're going to beat Germany. That's it. Hungary almost did it. To say is it, it didn't. It didn't really help Germany, um, especially against a team like Hungary. That yeah, yeah. You know, they should. Well, Northern Macedonia six 0 Spain victory over Germany. Anyways, yeah. we don't need to get into that. Um, Mancini, should we be like? How, how should we? Goba Mancini, I think it was, he, he played, or well, obviously he didn't play, but he coached brilliantly in my mind. He, he had the right uh, idea of balance and, and young players mixed with older generational players. Um, as, as you kind of saw, like the forwards were a bit younger than, say, the defenders in the midfield, mm-hmm. although the goalkeeper is 22, 23. He's, right. He's 20. Yeah, so. Um, he's going to be scary in the future. Holy, he's already great now, but he, he has a long, long future ahead of him. But yeah, I, I thought he played his tactics fairly well, and then he he got the results that he wanted. I think that's something. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm gonna make it about England because you know why not? But I think if Southgate is gonna you know look back at this tournament, I think he really should look at Mancini. Um, just because he still had a good, solid defensive core. Obviously, you have Chiellini, Bonucci that are just, you know, veterans and such, like, smart defenders. But, you know, even in this game, he was bringing on Locatelli and and other guys in the final and, and, and kind of had that, you know, good mix of not being too attacking, not being too defensive, mixing in players here and there. I think, I think Donnarumma got subbed out in one of the group games just to get the goalie in and yeah. So, so that better. was, that was to get the third string goalie in because he's a veteran and it's nice to, I think that would have been his first cap for Italy. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying that. is kind of utilizing the whole squad and making it really a, a family environment and not saying Southgate didn't, but 
I just think tactically he, he was really good at blending the mix between being attacking and being defensive. And, and if you think about this Italian side, they don't really have an, a number nine. That's kind of, I mean, you could talk about a Mobley. He was awful. He yeah, was, exactly. He was completely, I, I saw the meme. It's like, when your group project gets a hundred percent on the test and then you do absolutely nothing. <laughs> exactly. And that that's the thing with this team is they didn't really have an out and out striker to get them the goals. Obviously uh, Chiesa played great and they had other guys that stepped up for them, but it wasn't like they had one guy that they could just feed the ball to. It was really a team effort offensively. Right. And I think that's another thing to, to kind of praise Mancini is just getting that mix of, defense and and kind of creativeness and and attacking uh, flair that uh, Italy's not really known for um in in past years and and I think he, he deserves a lot of credit it was also pretty ballsy to take off players such as Insigne before going into the extra time and whatnot knowing that you might you might be going to pens but uh, I mean like you said worked out they brought in the right players and it just worked out yeah and I mean you could go about thinking i'm not saying italy didn't have a good squad but look at the guys england was bringing out in extra time compared to 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 italy and they know in the back of their minds probably they have donnarumma and he can probably win them penalties right so it it kind of made sense and it worked out and when it works you get praise so uh um yeah there you go Already, uh, you wanted to go over the did the best team win in the Euros. Um, it, honestly, it, it's hard to say because arguably France, England, Belgium have equal or better squads, and and on paper, you know, Portugal, Spain, Germany aren't too far behind. So, I mean, it, it's really hard to say, you know, who has the best squad. And of course, I'm missing other teams like the Netherlands and Denmark played unbelievably well. Czech Republic were very strong. Hungary. A lot of, yeah, Hungary. I I mean, in the group of death, they did pretty, they They did did a lot better than most people. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So it's really hard to say, did the best team win? I I mean, one of the best teams won and that that's the reality of it. I think the best team throughout the tournament won. I think most consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Italy had definitely a much harder road than England. Um, they beat obviously Belgium, who honestly didn't look that great, but still had a lot of talent, albeit they were missing a couple of key players in, in, in the quarterfinal. Obviously, Spain, not the Spain of 10, 10 years ago, but still pretty good, very talented, very good on the ball. And obviously England, who who I think probably squad-wise is is slightly more talented, but but definitely they played better together and, and they have a great midfield and obviously the defense. So I, I think overall, when you look back at the tournaments, like who played the best and Italy, even in the group stage played awesome. England didn't really. And um, France were all over the place and I don't think deserved to win just because they didn't play up to their standards. They definitely had the most talented team, but they didn't play the best as a team. And I think that's, that's what matters. Right. So it's also interesting because England didn't really. When was the first goal that they conceded? Was that against the? Uh, was that in the semis against Denmark? Against Denmark, yeah. Yeah, so it's crazy that they didn't even concede a single goal. I mean, that goes to show that there is a solid backbone and that you have somewhere to work off of. No, for sure. I, I think that's what was, albeit he did 
Southgate, as I've mentioned previously, did play defensive, but the defense really held up. I think Mm -hmm. Stones and Maguire are really good center backs. After that, if one of them was out, I don't know who you'd really trust. And obviously Shaw was outstanding in in this tournament and Walker played well. So, um, yeah, the future's really bright. I think for England, it's going forward is who, if one of Stones or Maguire's out, who replaces them? And I think with fullbacks, they just have plenty. Like Chilwell easily could have played this tournament. Reese James could have played this as a right back. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Trippier and Walker. So um, defensively, they, they were really great. But uh, then again, they, they, they kind of played a defensive game. It's also interesting because a year ago, I don't think John Stones would have been decent. He wasn't playing well. But after playing a season with Ruben Diaz, he just as if it's as if he found this newfound uh, confidence, and he's playing really, really well. And he brought that to the national team. And it, I mean, whatever he did, it, it's working out. And I mean, it's good for him. I, I, I would say. Yes. Yeah, I will say though that I thought he had a couple slip-ups in, in 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 the tournament and just kind of got bailed out by Pickford or or the guy, you know the the Mueller chance was kind of his fault. So he he got had a couple mistakes, which I thought Maguire for the most part didn't really have any, but he was great. Like I, I I'm not complaining. I, but he again his evolution in the past year from being a squad player that never played. Although he had the hype when he came in from Everton um, and the big uh, cachet, and now he's he's kind of lived up to it again. So good on him, and and kind of I think being uh, persistent really uh, worked out for him, and and good for him. Before we turn over to Italy, I would like to say, what are your thoughts on Kane? Because for me, it was a very underwhelming tournament for the most part. Uh, I, I don't think he had a lot of service. Truthfully, he had a couple chances. I'm not saying, I don't think he played great. He he definitely missed a couple sitters. One in, I can think of one in the group stage. Was it Croatia? And then, and then he had one against Germany that he should have scored before the one he did score, um, in the first half of that game. I, I thought he was underwhelming, but at the same time, he didn't have a lot of service just because of the way they were playing, especially, in the big games against uh, uh, Germany and, and Croatia and, and obviously Italy where they'd have five at the back and they, he just didn't get a lot of service. So I don't think he played great at the same time. I think he had what, two or three goals. Did he score in the Ukraine game? I forget. I think he did. I think he had two or yeah, it's, it's either two or three. Yeah. So again, he didn't play great and he had three goals in seven games, which isn't great, but it's still not bad. So um, I would say, though, it might have been smarter to maybe try Calvert-Lewin and maybe in one of those extra times that they had uh, because he did look really gassed, especially at the end of the, the final where he just... Did, did he not take a pen in the last... Uh, in the penalty shootouts? Yeah, he scored it. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm remembering Shaw and Harry Maguire for some reason. Shaw did not. Maguire did. Okay. And Kane took the first one and it was a Donnarumma went to the oh, right. Oh, it was a top corner shot, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
So I honestly get why they kept him in, especially in those games, just because he's such a good penalty taker. Albeit he missed the one against uh, Casper Schmeichel. Denmark still scored, but uh, got a bit lucky there. So, yeah. Yes. Alrighty. Uh, Who would be the player that most... Kane had four goals. My bad. Well, he scored against Denmark. I think he scored twice against Ukraine. I think that's it. Anyways, continue. Who was your most influential player for Italy? Who was the player that you thought was the most outstanding? I honestly would have gone with Chiellini. Obviously, Donnarumma played great, but I just think his leadership, his poise, um, just kind of almost that arrogance uh, is something that I think really helped that team. I just think of uh, it's kind of funny, but in the in the penalty shootout against Spain, where he goes up to Jordi Alba and just really happy and kind of pissing him off and kind of <laughs> hugging him and stuff, and you you could just tell he wasn't nervous, he wasn't afraid of the moment. Think about the tactical f- yellow against Saka, which um, was one of those oranges um, where it's it's not a red, but it's a it's a very strong yellow. Yeah, uh, just kind of his all-around play I just thought he was great and such a leader um he's obviously not the most talented but he he definitely was was great in this tournament and um well his talent is in his mind exactly that's what I mean um and so good on him and and I think for Italy there's a bunch of guys that really played well Chiesa played great in the final and in the semi Donnarumma of course one player of the tournament and was awesome didn't really have any mistakes Bonucci, they all played incredibly well. Karate, yeah, they all they all played great. So um good on Italy. And and it's kind of interesting how they went from missing the World Cup to to winning the Euros. Who would have thought? But uh good for them. (laughs) That is a that is a crazy thought, and not not many I don't think many people would have uh, placed their bets on that. So definitely an interesting one. Um, Should Donnarumma have won the best player of the tournament? I I think for me, it's hard to say. I I think I would put him, Chiesa, and Chiellini. Um, And whoever wins it is, you know, just marginally above the other. For me, I I honestly couldn't pick between the three. Truthfully, I believe that because it went to shootouts and back-to-back games, and especially in the final, and... That's why you give it? Yeah, I, I think that's why. But, again, I completely agree. I, I, there was a lot of – there was three or four players on Italy that you could have ch- chosen and same with England, honestly, if they, if they had won the, the, the tournament. So, in the end, I don't I don't think it was a bad call at all with, with him being player of the tournament, but I probably would have gone with Chiellini uh, mm-hmm. rather than him just because – think about it, in this game, in the final, he had one save. So that's not <laughs> it's not really him stealing the show for them. It's more kind of uh, him the defense it holding it down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, before we move on to the NHL, well, I guess the Stanley Cup review, um, I would like to mention some of the fucked up shit that happened after, or I guess the English fans in general. Um, I, I have a list of things, and of course, I'm going to be missing. Uh, a lot of things but uh, you know first thing pops into mind is you know beating up a danish fan and then forcing the son to flee the kid's nine years old like 
the hell's going through your mind um screaming fuck denmark after denmark lost i mean you won the game move on like enjoy yourselves why are you being all rude and hostile towards the danish fans uh the laser pointer at schmeichel i thought that was really disturbing and i mean schmeichel did make the save but then i mean kane uh you know brought it back into yeah. that it bounced right to him uh the constant booing of other teams national anthems the booing of when players took the knee you know calling the german girl a bunch of terrible slurs and then bringing back you know world war ii chants about bombing germany and shit mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty well just I, yeah. don't, I don't have the right words for it, but the, the rioting on the streets, the breaking through Wembley's gates and stealing other fans' seats, especially the Italian fan seats that, that flew over and literally spent thousands of dollars just to watch the game, and they, they weren't able to watch their team. And then, of course, of course, the immense amount of racism that followed after the loss towards Rashford, Bukayo Saka, Sterling, Jaden Sancho, I mean, it's it's so sickening, and and I mean, these players are treated like heroes when they win, but the second they're lo- they lose, uh, they're they're not treated as if they're human beings. They're treated below that. And it's just like it's so sickening that people are just hiding anonymously and just saying shit. And I'm, I mean, I, I saw the mural, the Rashford mural in Manchester. It was defaced, but then. The, the community came together and really, you know, put up signs and messages saying, you know, we love you, you know, you are so valued and that you guys are so important. And it, it's good that we're seeing that in the community because that is what we need to see, especially after these create, like just really disturbing. Um, I, I, I will just, unless, unless you have something else to say, I, I'll just, just, ask, just, but... just one last thing. It's really ironic because it is the, black players of england that got them through this far to the finals yeah if you think about the the big players on england a lot of them are are obviously black or or colored so it's uh um i mean i i can go in many different directions with this i think you summed it up very well um but i'll just kind of end on i think it's also just a emblematic of of the uk right now yeah um now i think with the fans i think at least i know from basketball a lot of fans feel really empowered i don't really know why that's changed in recent years but you see a lot of kind of kerfuffles and and people really feeling in stadiums not just in europe but in in uh in 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 north america even uh but think about this um there's there was um a couple instances of mps in the uk um, in different ways, for example, one uh, conservative literally said, blamed Rashford for not practicing penalties, um, which is just kind of despicable. Another one um, said they shouldn't be chanting or, or shouldn't be um, kneeling for the anthem and then came out and said, you know, what happened to Saka was horrible and Tyrone Mings on the team basically came out and and. and well, that's the secretary of the state, wasn't it? Exactly. So pre, something pre Patel or something. Exactly. Yep. You got it right. So it just, I think it's more emblematic of where England is sadly at this moment in time where there's such divide within the country. Um, obviously Brexit is probably a, a huge kind of 
uh, uh, marking point of that divide and a lot of racism, a lot of xenophobia, and it's just a sad time. And, and I think, I think you have to kind of parcel through it with regards to the fans. I think that's just as much England fans being hammered and, and a-holes, but also this religion assholes. Yeah. But also this fan empowerment movement, I think with, you know, how expensive the tickets are, they feel they have a right to do whatever they want and, and push kids and say horrible things and boo. Um, but then I also think the racism is, is so I wouldn't put them not the same. And, yeah. uh, and it's just really unfortunate that that is the case um, right now in, in, in the UK and honestly, a lot of Europe, but really right now with the UK, uh, it's kind of a shit show. So it's, it's really, really sad to see. It's not to say it doesn't exist in Italy for the sake of this game. Oh, uh, remember uh, the talk about Italian racism, but, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but that's not really what was highlighted in that yeah. game. I don't think. No. So um, yeah, yeah. Not, blame we'll, Italy for nothing. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. Just a terrible, absolute shit that players had to go through, and we feel for them. And we just want to say that we love them. I'm not an English fan, but I, I genuinely love watching them. They're great people on and off the pitch. I mean, the things that Rashford has done off the pitch, just even you know, even Sancho, I think he was yeah. building par- uh, parks or giving stuff to kids. Yeah, Saka has done some stuff in the community. Like they're not these kids. I mean, there are they're, they're fantastic people, but they're, they're not fantastic. just doing stuff. they're not just soccer players. They're doing stuff that is. Uh, more than that, and, and not political, even though people say it's political. I don't think giving food to children um, and helping them out is really a political stance. I think that's more a social cause. So um, they're, they're community leaders. They're definite community leaders. Yeah. Hey. We will leave it there for the uh, what was the Euros. Uh, of course, just to recap, it was a 1-1 tie going to penalty shootouts and Italy won 3-2 on penalties. When we're back, we'll talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. Thank you. And we are back to Stanley Cup Finals and joined again by Olivier. Thank you for being here. And I will say I am so, 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 so sorry for your loss. I will say the Stanley Cup is coming to Montreal, just not for the right reasons, as it was severely damaged in the parting in Tampa and is going to be fixed in Montreal, which is a little ironic uh but yeah i'm 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 sorry for you bud and i hope you're hanging in there but you'll 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 get there again eventually maybe in 30 years but you know you'll get there no we'll get back faster this time i think (laughs) i hope i most i believe let's go with that i believe uh all so getting getting straight to this lightning are i think we can for sure say they are a dynasty what can we take away from this team and i mean my only main point is you know 18 million over the cap. Gotta change the rules. Uh, I mean, and I also don't know why so many teams disregarded Tampa and had Vegas, Hurricanes, uh, Avalanche, you know, all his favorites above them. I don't get that. Uh, I mean, I can take this. One, the cap is a bit misleading with the 21 or the 18 million because as I've mentioned before, they had Anders Nielsen and Marion Gabrick making like, I don't know, around seven or eight of that million. So it's not fully – and those guys 
weren't helping them in any way. They're both basically Gabrick's basically retired. Nielsen has a bad concussion, which is unfortunate, but no, I think definitely it's a, it's a dynasty. And what you have to take about it is uh, take away from it. Sorry. Is they really have four outstanding players and then Steven Stamkos. Um, I know that's kind of might be a bit of a hot take, but Stamkos, obviously great player, number one overall pick, had 50 goal seasons. I wouldn't say he's that. Obviously, he's good, but I don't think he's worth $9 million. Uh, he had 18 points in, in 23 games, but 12 of them were on the power play. So I, I think he's still power play, elite, elite power play player, but um, five on five, he, five he's, he's just not nearly as good. And then obviously you have Kucherov who just, you know, absolutely lit it up, albeit um, being on LTAR all year and um, kind of part of that $18 million uh, conversation people in the hockey world have had just because he was the Art Ross winner in 2019 and he sat out the whole season and they could use his cap, those $9 million he makes as extra space. And and they did to get guys like David Savard and, and others. So, uh Obviously, that really helped them out. Points, amazing. Hedman, of course, has won the Smythe last year, and obviously Vasilevsky, who won it this year. So I think you just think of a team that has just probably four or five Hall of Famers and then just tons of depth with Goudreau, Sorelli, Coleman, Gord, Sergachev, McDonough, Chernak, Savard, Ruda. Like, this team on paper – honestly is probably just as good as any other team we had this year. You could probably talk about Colorado being in that miss mix, but they just didn't perform and they don't have Vasilevsky. So uh, I think you just think of this team as a great, great team and obviously winning, you know, twice in a row, you can't take anything away from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really a situation like you laid it out there. They got a bunch of hall of famers a really, really good supporting cast of guys who play the roles really well, show up and have their big moments every once in a while. Blake, Blake Coleman just flying through the air three years in a row to score a goal, right? Like <laughs> they have the guys that can support the, uh, their top six or, you know, the top six guys on the team and everybody buys into the system that John Cooper's been playing clearly. And I mean, it surely doesn't hurt when you have like a world-class goaltender like Vasilevsky, you know, just in case something slips up and like, I find something that's, you know, not unsung about Tampa because given they've won, everybody's been praising them all over. But like, man, their decor is really good. Like the depth on that decor is insane when you, when you go down it, like even their bottom pair could contend for the second, maybe not top pair on most teams, but like could, could be the second pair, you know, your three and four or your two and three guys on a lot of other teams. Mm-hmm. There is, there is a lot to say for that. And, and it is true. They have, they're so stacked and it's just crazy how you can build a team of that magnitude and that, I mean, who, who else, maybe one or two other teams can replicate that, but beyond that, no one else is coming close. So it, it is a frightening thing to see, especially on paper. All right, what could the Habs have done differently for this uh, series? Or is, is there something they could have done? I think Shea Weber and Carey Price kind of had that moment in their interviews when, um, you know, Price saying he didn't play well for the first few games, 
Weber going out and defending him and saying, no, we didn't play well enough in front of you. Carey Price's save percentage was kind of awful for the first three games of the series. And you could tell as the games went on, he got better and better and, you know, kept them in it a little bit longer. But maybe had that swing of things kept going for longer, maybe it'd be a different story. Maybe it would have gone to six games or whatever. But uh, Carey Price, I don't want to take anything away from, like, the incredible playoff run that he had kind of let in a few softies at the beginning and the team wasn't able to bail him out. Like he's done it so many times by getting up a couple goals on Vasilevsky because, you know, they've played against top def- top uh, goaltenders, you know, and Marc-Andre Fleury and Connor Hellebuck and they found a way through, but Vasilevsky seemed to kind of stump them uh, overall, which uh, was unfortunate in any other sense of anything else differently. I I don't think there's anything you can say they could have done differently. They kind of ran into a team that was built similarly to them, but with every player being slightly better than the alternative on the Habs, right? Like Tampa as Bay, well as having all-star players. Exactly, exactly it, right? Like, sure, the Habs have a solid four lines that they can run basically all four lines against any team with really, really even minute distribution. But then you're like, all right, well, sure, our top line is pretty good but then it has to go against like Kucherov all night. And then our second line, which is also pretty good, has to go against guys like Braden Point, Steven Stamkos all night. So at a certain point, they kind of ran into the problem where just being pretty good wasn't good enough. And mm. they, they weren't getting kind of those, uh, either those bounces or those situations that was letting them uh, do their thing, right? Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I'm going to be a bit cheeky and say they should have kept Luke Richardson instead of bringing back Ducharme after he uh, had that. I think, I think so as well. I, I thought Luke Richardson did a really great job and really carried them through that Vegas Golden Knights series. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing for me, um, obviously, going to just how the playoffs ended, I don't think they should have taken Cockney Emmy out. He was playing great. Sure, he played a couple mediocre games, but he got you there. Um and look at the difference he made him and Caulfield in that Leafs series as well. What I, I really mystified me was not playing Romanov really throughout mm-hmm. the at playoffs, all, yeah. especially in, in the finals. I just think over time, the top four guys, Sherrod, Edmondson, Petrie and, and Weber just ran out of kind of energy just because they were playing huge minutes. Right. And I thought Romanov definitely the most talented player that or most talented defenseman that wasn't playing regularly or whereas he's the also the future. Exactly. Yep. And he's made for the playoffs. He's, I mean, he's not a big guy, but he hits, he's physical. He it's uses not, his body. Like yeah, he was he, way bigger than he is. He's not a guy that you're a bit worried about. Can he handle the, the physicality of the playoffs? And obviously Merrill Kulak, uh, Gustafson kind of you have them in as, as that sixth defenseman but I, I'm really I think I don't think Romanov changes the outcome of the finals but I do think that he would have been a big advantage if they used him even earlier because he played well when he played I, I don't think he was a problem at all so yeah uh, for the two kind of things I think they should have done differently but I don't think it changes the outcome on on that side of things like when you look at those four defensemen just those four names John Merrill, Eric Gustafson, Romanov, and Brett Kulak. If you had to pick them from a one to four, Romanov is your top guy, despite how young he is. He shows so much talent and poise at that age that I feel more confident putting him in those minutes on your third pair. 
Like, I don't feel the need for John Merrill or Gustafson to get those minutes. Gustafson literally only played on the power play. And we didn't get a lot of power plays. And, you know, after game one, when you see that you're not getting the calls and it's kind of just loose hockey, you take him out of there. You don't need him anymore. If he's playing three to five minutes a night, I'd rather have Romanov doing that. Mm-hmm. And same thing between John Merrill and Brett Kulak. We've seen Brett Kulak as a Habs fan. I've seen him for the past few years where he's turned himself into a solid skater. He's got a good first pass, really just your standard five and six defenseman. That's not going to make a lot of mistakes. He will every once in a while, it, you know, cost us a goal when he was playing, but that happens to everybody. I don't see a reason why you play John Merrill and Eric Gustafson other than the, the, the coach, reason of loving having veterans and people older players with experience when it comes to the playoff which at that point like you've already got Shea Weber Jeff Petrie Joel Edmondson and Ben Sherratt as your top four I feel like that brings enough stability and like veteran presence to your decor that you can afford having like a 27 year old Brett Kulak I think or 26 and a young young Romanov in and honestly even if it doesn't change the outcome just put Romanov on the ice. Let him play some playoff games. Yep. Same thing with Kakanyemi. I don't know why he was pulled. He was easily our best expected goals goals for, and he was definitely not a liability on defense when it came to it. It kind of blows me away. Like I like Jake Evans. I really like him as a player. I still think Kakanyemi should have kept that spot. We'll be interesting to see how well the team pans out in the future and what what changes are made and who you like go and who you keep on or keep for the next season i should say um again we'll 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 cover that at a later date um someone they're keeping for sure uh Duchamp was signed until i believe it was 23 24 um what does it mean and like, what are your thoughts on it uh yeah so he was signed earlier today for three years and I had, a, I had a, me and Alex had a very small conversation about this day. We're like, I, I want to be hopeful because he clearly did some things right during the playoffs for us to get this far. Cause, but again, how much of it was also just the group kind of rallying together, especially after that leaf series. Mm-hmm. What was nice to see is that when Luke Richardson was in charge in Vegas, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's a, co- that's a guy that I would want to see with the head coach job. Now knowing that Deshaun's going to be there for the next three years, Deshaun is very much so like a Claude Julien light. He's kind of the same guy, puts the same plays out, doesn't really make huge changes. And then when he does make changes, we're left to question why he made them. Uh, and, and another thing that kind of hurts doubly for somebody who's not the biggest Dom Deshaun uh, fan, we lost Joel Bouchard, our, our Laval yeah. coach rock, like Laval head coach we lost him we get they offered him and he was quoted saying he didn't like where the player development was going in Laval and in Montreal which is a shame because he's a great coach in a few years he's going to be an NHL head coach and he's going to be turning heads for sure did he go to LA he's in Anaheim Anaheim, yeah he didn't even go to their he went to their AHL team yeah whatever their AHL affiliate is I don't remember San Diego goals San Diego goals yeah yeah, San Diego um I think yeah no, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. I just have a couple questions for you because for me as not a Habs fan, I see it as uh, obviously there's there's kind of two things. One, obviously this is a big thing in, in the market, but the French speaker thing where it has to be a French speaker as the coach of the Canadians. Now, as an outsider, it to me it seems Luke Richardson's better for the job, but he 
I don't think he speaks French or definitely isn't a Francophone, right? And also looking at the block and you probably, if, if uh, Bergevin really wanted to, he probably could have tried to get Gallant before he went to the Rangers. To me, that's the guy. He isn't from Quebec, but he's a Francophone. Um, to me, that's the perfect coach for you guys. Uh, he would have been great. And for me, he's Francophone, ticks all the boxes, you guys can pay him as much as you want, just like the Rangers. That's not a. a I, I don't think he would have wanted to go to the maybe Canadians, to be honest. Maybe he might, he might have not wanted to go to a Canadian market. That's possible. Yeah. So, but that that guy really seemed to me the, the perfect fit. Yeah, for me, when they fired Claude Julien and then the interim tag on Deschamps and then Gallant was gone, I was like, perfect. Dom, thanks for the couple months. Gerard, get in here. Let's go. That was I was like, that would be perfect. It'd be insane. We saw what he did to Vegas. We saw what he's doing every time he coaches. He brings his system. He does things right. He switches things up. He plays with his pairs. I love it. The, the Team Canada that won gold at the IIHF. Exactly. A team terrible Canada, team. Like, Connor Brown. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> Roy Stetcher is your number one defenseman. Andrea arguably a fifth or sixth in the NHL. So, yeah, right. Like insane stuff. He just plays so well and he knows the players that he has and stuff. And that's what I was hoping for. And then realistically, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but Dushalm got the head coach, got the interim tag removed because they made the Stanley cup finals. 100%. If we lose to the Leafs, let's, you know, hypothetically we lose to the Leafs in seven the offseason starts early for us. Deshaun doesn't get that head coach, at least not for three years. They might give it to him for next year or put him on or keep him interim for now, but I think it's mostly because of that. Bergevin also would have been fired if he'd lost to the Leafs in the first round, in I don't my know. opinion. I don't know, he's been rumored to be fired every year, and he doesn't. That's get the fired. thing, too. So, I, don't, I don't know if he necessarily gets fired. Uh, I think he's on thin ice, but I think Deshaun goes first. I yeah. think. The, the ownership in Montreal is willing to let another coach leave before trying another GM. Because uh, uh, a yeah. GM can really mess up your franchise if they make some poor decisions, right? And Bergeron yeah. hasn't – he hasn't really screwed us in cap space. He hasn't signed any, like, absolutely awful contracts. We've questioned his trades, though, in the past. But it seems some, some of them seem to work well. the Weber-Suban one. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the Weber-Suban one Weber's looks bad. Contract. Weber looks great now, like – People question Carey Price's contract. They're like, oh, this guy's garbage. And then the playoffs come around and we're like, you know what? Pay him whatever you want because he makes great saves when we need him. Sure, to. Surely not $10 million, though. That, that's way too much. No, probably. Especially looking at what other goalies are making nowadays. But um, but again, like even if you look at those decisions, like he only has a handful of like objectively poor calls. Yeah. And he's yeah. made a lot of other great moves that have helped us get here, even just this past offseason between getting Allen getting Edmondson, getting Sherrod, the stuff pack. like that is are all things that have brought us here. The Suzuki trade. The Suzuki trade, exactly. And, like, Suzuki was the big piece of the trade, and we got two seasons' worth of Thomas Tatar, which has been insane. He's been very good for us. Another thing, I don't know why Tatar didn't play any of the playoffs. He's been – the gallagher denote tatar line was such a good line for the past two years, and now they just suddenly decide to not ice it anymore. Whatever. I know he was on a really, really cold streak, but – this is more about coaching. He could else. have been a difference maker at times. A hundred percent. It only takes that one 
key finishing guy, which Thomas Tatar we all know is, to just kind of get one past him and then really turn the momentum around. No, definitely. I just, I just feel that Ducharme is not the best coach. I just feel that it's unfortunate that because they just hired, fired Claude Julien, hired Ducharme, took away the interim tag, signed him for three years. We might be kind of doomed for like a three years of mediocrity where like, just because of the relative talent on the roster, we don't completely suck every year. But we also either like borderline make or not make the playoffs slash lose in the first round to like the stacked Atlantic division. Keeping on that train, um, (laughs) are they going to make it to, you know, playoffs next, I mean, next year? I mean, put into perspective, they need to beat Tampa. They need to, or not beat, but they need to compete with Tampa, Florida, the Bruins, Toronto, perhaps even Ottawa to an extent. And then they also have to fight for the Metropolitan uh, teams Conference, for the last yeah. two wildcard spots. Are yeah. they making it? For me, personally, I, I truthfully do not see it. Alex? I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I, I don't think – they're definitely not a lock. And, um, oh, well, no. Unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> they were the 18th place team and in the, the Canadian division. I, I think with them, you – Boston, Tampa, Florida really seem pretty set in stone of being good. Even though Tampa's going to lose a lot of guys, you still have Vasilevsky, you still have Point, Kucherov, those guys. I would say arguably not not uh, Florida, despite them now having Sam Bennett, just the saying. They have a really deep team. If you go up and down the roster, they, they could be had it. Again, the Leafs could be too. It's going to be interesting. It sounds- I, think, I think goaltending is going to cost them more. I don't think the I don't think Florida or the Leafs. Spencer Knight. Yeah, no, Spencer Knight definitely really played well in the playoffs or in the game he played, and he showed some like good flashes in the offseason in the juniors. But maybe like I definitely I, I think you have to also look at this a bit. I mean, I did come up with the question, albeit, but you'd have to look at it after Seattle expansion, after free agency. Fair enough, depending mm-hmm. on who they take. But yeah, they're definitely. On talent, on paper, they're probably the fifth best team. Um, I would put. I don't, I don't see them gaining much, and I don't. I could see them det- losing a couple players. Maybe if they trade Duran, because it sounds like he's probably out of there. I think he might just be done. Yeah, uh, this might be a totally separate thing, but I think he's just done. Yeah, maybe. So, rumor has it he's doing very well and might be close to coming back, but I don't know. The last time anybody answered about that, they just said he was doing well. Go ahead. I was just going to say is in the sense, I don't think I, I definitely think are the sixth place team, but they're going to be a good team. They're going to be competitive. They get goaltending. They might be fourth in the Canadian division this year. Uh, honestly, they, they played that well and they should be better. Um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to, I'm not predicting them over the Habs next year, but they're going to be a good team. Now Detroit Buffalo, they're going to be poor, <laughs> but uh Buffalo actually has like solid. No, 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 the most dysfunctional team in the league. They literally didn't have scouts until two weeks ago. They are 
I feel for Buffalo fans. I don't know any, but I don't I even know, I think they exist. Uh, my my dad's uh, a Buffalo fan. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ontario. <laughs> you know, Ontario. Uh, why he chose Buffalo when Toronto was in his backyard, I, I don't don't quite understand. I, you know, but, I can actually respect him more for that now. Yeah, no, I mean all of his fan, all of his friends growing up were Toronto fans, but uh you know, he, he chose Buffalo out of spite. But um I was, yeah. I was just gonna add on it. I just they're gonna be it's it's not a for sure thing. And uh obviously I, I think in the end, um unless Carey Price really plays well in the regular season, but I don't think you should count on that just because he hasn't. But they're gonna be a wild card team for me. That's, I think that's where they're competing. I don't think they'll crack the top three in the Atlantic and then it's gonna be it's gonna to be tough. I, I I if I had to bet, I'd say they will just because they did well this year. But then again, that's like 60 40. I'm not I don't it's not an overwhelming they're gonna make the playoffs. I uh, think especially with a bad coach. It's like wow, wow, what a guy. <laughs> this is the guy with Paul Maurice behind the bench. Just this, is the guy, this team anyway. Paul Maurice actually won the cup. So. No, he hasn't. No, but I thought he went with the hurricanes. No, no, he made the finals. Yeah. Uh, uh, so for me, I think they may, I think they like squeeze in like wild card or like fourth, you know, like third, fourth kind of deal, but definitely not contending for the top of the division or the conference or whatever they are nowadays. But uh, realistically, I think they get in because if we get a full year of Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki playing on the same line, and if they make any kind of dead or like off season acquisitions, like they're potentially rumored to be making, I think I have, I've heard all the speculation says they're not in on him. I Alexander could, Ovechkin in no. a jersey. No. You heard it here first. You're no. Not, no. I was going to say Eichel, Eichel to me makes enough sense. You don't trade Suzuki or Caulfield. You maybe give up cock, but um, <laughs> Cockney. That's not happening. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no. For me, I don't if, think they trade Cockney. I, I go in for him. I think that's they're they're missing a couple pieces and he's so amazing. He is really good. on a discount. He's has neck surgery that's just a shit show in Buffalo. I think that's a guy they should be in for, but they're they're not going to. I don't okay, think Okay, yeah, we'll say that for the offseason talk. But I definitely think they're gonna make the playoffs by the skin of their teeth. That's my prediction. Sens <laughs> are coming tenth. I'm putting money on. I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't see how they're gonna, you know, fight for a spot against the Islanders, the Hurricanes, well, they're making know, Penguins, Washington. There's there's Washington some not good, but yeah. Washington, well, Washington's not the greatest team, but they still have enough talent for them to make the playoffs. That's why I said tenth. Tenth. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies. Anyways, I don't see them making it uh all right well before before we end the show tonight whew, this is this I, I don't know if there's a, a i don't know if this is a tough question or not but is it, i mean obviously i i think vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world but who's close to him who who's almost at his level i think Matt nobody's Murray. that close but there's like a group of goalies who are like combined for second but like or like combined for third and there's just nobody in second i think i think there's that much of a gap between him and the next group of players 
Yeah, I, I'd say Hellebuck for me is definitely in that. Definitely in that group. Yeah, three, for sure. Three range. I, I would put Flurry. The way he's been playing, you have to. I, yeah, exactly. I Flurry, <laughs> Flurry like, I think with all these goalies, they're great, but you kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a hole in their game. And with Vasilevsky, it's just, there's nothing. I would also put Carey Price in there. Playoff Price, yeah. Playoff Price, 100%. Yeah. Uh, what about what about Grubauer? Any thoughts? No. Almost there. He just he just has such a crazy defense in front of him that he can be not that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Grubauer played really well, especially last year. But I think he just has so much more in front of him. Actively, I, I, I think he. I don't think I think he's a step below that. Okay. Yeah, I, I put him in the same category as like a Jack Campbell, like a good goalie, but he's not. He's not the best goalie. He's not even. No. Yeah. I, I don't no. see him as. Mm-mm. at that level of kind of elite elite i want him on my team kind of yeah he's like b plus a minus yeah interesting yeah. interesting i know a lot of people that would rate him a bit higher than that but interesting I th- um, I th- yeah what about like varlamov what about uh the goalie tandem in um in the New island York? Yeah, Varlamov and uh, is it Shesterkin? No, it's uh, uh Samsonov. Nope, yeah. that's isn't isn't Shesterkin and Sam Samsonov and Samsonov's uh, Washington. Washington, yeah. Shesterkin's uh, Rangers. I, I'm talking with the Islanders Jeez. tandem. Yeah, Varlamov and uh, Grice. I, no, Grice plays no, for Grace, Detroit no. now. I think. Right? I'll find it. I'll find it. One second. Holy, he's holy. We are very, very informed people. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe less so for the American teams, but we, we know. I would, um, I mean, I w- so I would put the Islanders tandem, whoever it is, because I know they just played well this year. Sorokin, Sorokin. Would- Sorokin, Sorokin. It's not Sorokin, that's it, not Shesterkin. Shesterkin's Rangers. Yeah. yeah, I would put that tandem, like, in the same pile as Philip Grubauer. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Murray in his prime. Okay, sorry. Too yeah, Matt Murray money. making six million dollars is one step below. That's your Demko this year. You I would definitely put Demko well. up there. Yeah, Demko played really well. Um, I didn't bring him up, so no one can say that I'm biased. No, no, no. Uh, Demko. Should we uh, talk about Braden Holpe or no? Oh, good no, lord! No. I mean, it's actually crazy though, because <laughs> like three years ago, people were raving about how Canada had the best goalies, and now we're looking at Canada's goalie situations. Like, what? We're gonna turn to a 36 year old flurry. We're gonna turn to a 30. What is it? Three year old price? Yeah, absolutely. You've seen no, what they but, can do. <laughs> no, but like. It's scary that we no longer are considered to have the best goalies. And now I would say with confidence, it's probably the Russians that have the best goalies and the, or the Americans. I'd probably say for depth, it'd be the, the, the Americans. Um, but I think the best goalie is Vasilevsky. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, Russia, I mean, you look at their goalies, though, Sorokin, Samsonov, Shesterkin, they have yeah, a bunch all, of... All three of those guys operate at their best in a tandem, and we've all seen that. They can't carry the load of being a starter. All of those guys have had their best they're, success they're when they were... They're when they were well, they're not, some of them aren't that young, and they were... Well, I guess goalie-wise, they are young. Sorokin's 25, Shesterkin, I'm pretty sure, is like 23... They all carried their best games when they were part of a 1A, 1B situation, right? None of them have really been able to carry a starter role. Uh, Shesterkin's 25. Yeah, Shesterkin's 25 and Samsonov's 24. Yeah. 
but, yeah, for me, the Americans have the most amount of depth, even more than not than Canada. You have Demko, Gibson, Hellebuck. I was gonna say, where do we put John Gibson? He had a bad year, but his team was garbage. Yeah, he's also, been on a terrible team for a very long time. Yeah. So Spencer Knight looks like he'll be a good goalie. Um, with yeah, anyways, it just uh, it's a, we're a bit off topic, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I think leaps and bounds, even as much as painful as it says uh, it is for me as a Hellebuck guy, he's Vasilevsky's considerably better than him. Oh yeah. Alrighty, well, I think that caps it off for this this week's geeking on sportscast. Any any last uh, comments from the two of you? Um, I just want to say today's uh, July thirteenth. We haven't talked about this, but we're definitely going to have a, a pod on on the NHL this upcoming week or in a week from now. But it's going to be a crazy week. There's expansion draft in basically less than a week, and they have to put in their protected list this weekend. We have yeah. the NHL draft at, immediately after. Then we have free agency. There's going to be trades. It's going to be really exciting. We already had the news today with uh, the buyouts of, of Parise and, and Suter, which I think are just insane. And also mm-hmm. the Duncan Keith trade, which is just stupid. Mm. Um, I, I can get into that another time. But yeah, it's just going to be a really crazy offseason, and it's going to be really exciting the next week and a half. And Hopefully my voice conveys my excitement because uh, it's, it's, I'm really excited. And um, for my two teams, I don't think it's going to be the most, the busiest deadline uh, kind of period, but it's going to be a crazy little all over the place. Even the Jack Eichel saga and Owen power might not want to go to Buffalo, all that. So why, why he, would he you get to choose? He doesn't get to choose though. You could no, run. but he could probably make, he, he can just not report four, for four, four years. years. Yeah. <laughs> he can just not report. Yeah. Big Eric Lindros move and just not, I'm yeah. not playing there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I just think it's going to be a fun week and we'll definitely have a pod uh, at least after expansion and, and the draft and all that. So, yeah. To, just for me to finish off the Habs on their side, I think they're going to have a relatively busy offseason. Um, there's a lot of contracts that are up. The whole Philip Dano thing for Habs fans, the fact that he walked away from a contract last year, now we got to sign him, but he didn't play as well. We have a bunch of RFAs and UFAs we need to sign. And we got to make cap space for OV. So there's that whole thing going on. Stop. Uh, stop. Bro, you say time. stop now? Watch it. Because he was been, he's been quoted saying he's either going to play for the Capitals or he'd love to play for Montreal or else he's going to the KHL. So I'm just saying. Why would he? When did he say he wanted to play for Montreal? Or he, he, said if, he said if he wouldn't play for Washington, the only other team he'd want to play in the NHL was Montreal. When? Some interview from like six years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't think we're gonna hold in on that. Um, the other thing, right. I just I want Bergevin to re-sign Armia, please. I don't want to have to buy another team's jersey. Coming <laughs> Don't worry. Yo, if he goes, <laughs> I, I'd be so mad. I would lose it. We don't have oh. money. It's okay. You're fine. You guys have so much money. It's all you have. No, no, we don't. We don't buy players. Okay. 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 We, we don't all need right, to get into right, this. Right. We don't need to get into this. And thanks for Anyways, having me, you guys. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning into this week. And until the next time, take care.